say I'm asleep, but I feel myself wanting to wake up, and I'm trying to wake up, but I couldn't. But at the same time, I could hear this laughter, like giggles. And so I could see, but I couldn't see, and I could visualize there was these little, these small little people, and they were in the doorway, and they were pointing and laughing at me, and, and, and trying to beg me to come out, come out, come out. And then, but I, I couldn't move, I was paralyzed. Finally, it's like I was there and I was trying to open my eyes. I couldn't open them, but I could still see him, even though it was really, it was really strange. Welcome to the Bed Night Lunch Podcast, a podcast where we delve into the unseen history and folklore of Carboneer. Where each episode we invite you to sit down and enjoy a nice bed night lunch while we take a journey back through history. Now, here are your hosts Preston Griffin, Caitlin Clark, Caitlin Head, Sarah Clark, and myself, Noah Green. Thanks so much to Tracy Oates for that amazing excerpt at the beginning of the podcast. So today we're going to be telling you a lot of stories not unlike that one that are absolutely chilling. And obviously we're talking about creatures that are warned and whispered about from household to household here in Carboneer. Of course, those being named fairies. And now fairies are different to everybody from culture to culture and folklore to folklore. They, uh, they vary in appearance and, and temperament, but we have so many chilling and horrific stories today that uh, I think we encapsulate a lot about those uh, myths and folklores. So I think I'll, I'll play a little excerpt from Anthony Griffin that kind of explains how those are specific to Carboneer and a little bit about the areas that you might find some of these stories coming from. So in Carboneer, there are a couple of areas off out of the town that are called fairy runs. And a fairy run is a general area where a lot of uh, fairy activity takes place. Like, for example, here in Carboneer, up around, oh, just up above the highway, up above the new road, over across the track, there is uh, a general area from, from, from basically from Gaydon's Mash all the way to Pike's Pond. That is considered a fairy run. It's a, somewhat of a valley and a little over the hills too. And there's been a lot of experiences, a lot of stories that have come from that general area. And then there's also one in around uh, Gunner's Pond in towards Camp McCarthy in that way. And then like kind of out towards Forest Road more, like there were somewhere around where the area, where the road, where the road ends and it becomes like a dirt gravel road. So I think that story provides a bit of context to um, a bit of the folklore, but I wanted to get into a little bit about how um, people have come up with ways that you can supposedly avoid the fairies, and I think Caitlin has a little bit to share with us. Um, one of the things that I remember being told growing up was uh, to wear your clothes inside out and the fairies wouldn't get you. And like if you had accidentally put on an article of clothing inside out that day, you have to leave it inside out or the fairies will get you. And people used to put breadcrumbs in their pockets. I also remember hearing that they used to uh, wear odd socks as well. Right. And I think I, I read something once about uh, wearing or having silver on you would also keep them away. And I, I know there's, there's so much that goes into that. There's little, like, everyone has their own different little tricks. And uh, depending on what your family's like growing up, you either heard a lot about fairies or probably nothing at all. I was like, myself growing up, Never, never came up. Like I didn't, I didn't hear about this actually until like grade school when when Anthony, who is in the podcast today, told me about them. 
Oh, growing up, I was always told, like, if you were out blueberry picking or something, don't wander off alone because the fairies will get you, which I guess was just, like, your parents trying to get you to not wander off into the woods by yourself. And I actually never lived here during my childhood, but whenever I came to visit, I was always told to stay away from the fairies if I was ever going out during the day or something. Right. Yeah, my mom used to talk to me about the fairies all the time because she believed that I'm growing up in Harbor Grace, so I was very well accustomed to the story, so... Hmm. So now that we've kind of covered some of our own you know, personal takes on it, I do have another excerpt I'm really excited to play. And this one is from, it's a Vicky... Vicky Oatsthorne. Okay, right. So I'll play that one for you now. Now then, let me see. Let me think. Um, my mind slows down at this age, so it takes me a minute to think about where to start with you. Uh, great, great, great grandmother Morris. Three greats. Okay. Okay. Her name was Eliza. She, it was in this time of the year actually, she went berry picking. She walked from her house over on Bunkers Hill to somewhere in around, I guess, where the school is now. CIC in that way. Okay. They always went in that way to get their berries. Anyway, she left. I think it was, my mum said it was on a, a Tuesday to go in to get her berries. Got, uh, anyway, she never returned. She was 48 hours lost in the woods, so the people started to go look for her. Couldn't find her. During the 48 hours, there was a heavy rain fall, thunder and lightning and heavy rain. So she walked out herself. She found her way out. When she came out, uh, she should have been soaking wet, and she wasn't. Now the hair on her head was wet. Her clothes were totally dry. And when they uh, asked her what happened to her, she said, uh, not to be concerned, she was fairly. <laughs> so he <laughs> said, what do you mean? Mrs. Morris, you are fairy She said, I wasn't wet. The fairies led me astray when I was berry picking, and they showed me to a spot in the woods under big trees so I wouldn't get wet and I wouldn't be cold. She was fine, but she was fairy <laughs> That's what she always claimed. So there you go. And I, I really like that story, especially because it, um, really details one aspect you see in a lot of these stories, which is the, uh, the loss of time, where people will be gone for what they think is a few hours, and they come back to meet their family and friends, and they, uh, they say they've been missing for days or much, much longer than, uh, than they felt. So uh, it reminds me of a few more excerpts I have from Anthony Griffin, which I, wanna, I feel like we should introduce him a bit, because um, he has so many stories about this topic. And he's a young guy, but he has such a penchant for, for storytelling that so you'd never tell. Oh, no, no. He tells the stories like he could be in his 80s. <laughs> he has that much knowledge of certain subjects, and uh, he's very good at telling the stories as well. Mm, right. So I'll, I'll get in one of those, and I'll play that for you right now. And there's all, all kinds of other stories, too, of the fairies uh, abducting people. Right? And that, that's just one of them. I was told a story at one time, there was this young boy over around uh, the Forest Road area. He wandered off by himself, was playing, and uh, the fairies came and they took him to 
back. He thought it was great. And then he finally said, I got to go home now. And uh, so they brought him back to his own world, our world. And then he went on home. And his, when he got home, his mother was in tears. She was worried sick about him. And she said, where have you been? And he said, oh, I was over that way playing. And she said, you've been gone for three or four days. So he had been missing the time, which seemed like no more than a couple of hours. For him, it was quite literally days. I think this was in the, was the late 70s or the late 80s, I'm not 100% sure. There was these two, two young boys and their mother, they went up Blue Ring picking in this area. And one of the boys wandered off. And he was gone, missing for a couple of hours. And the, the mother and the other child, they went looking for him. And they found him lying on the ground with not a bit of clothes on his body. They brought him over to the hospital, which I think was recently uh, constructed. And they, they did drug tests, they did all kinds of tests on, on him to see like, what was wrong, why couldn't this, this guy, like, how did it happen? And when he finally came to, like, in the hospital, he, he was unconscious, right? When he, when he finally came to, he recalled what happened. He just kind of wandered off like a curious young boy would. And from the trees, there came this emanating blue light, and it was pulsating, and it was calling his name. So he followed it, and then he can't remember anything after that. There was a house in Gaiden's Mash, and the the owner of it he had just died. And back then, funeral homes weren't a thing, so when a person died, they laid them out in the coffin in what would be called the parlor, which is similar to a living room. And they'd, they'd lay out the body in the parlor, and all the friends and the family, would they, they'd come pay their respects at the wake, right? Anyway, so they had the owner of this house, a real crooked, angry man. Nobody really liked him. He was a bit of a, you know. Anyway, so he, and he was Catholic. So the Catholic priest at the time here in Carabineer was uh, Felix McCarthy. He, had, he was a priest from the 1890s to up until his death in, I think it was 1944. And uh, he went up to uh, say the last rites or whatever, I, I'm not 100% sure. And when he walked into the house, he said, he see, everything got right quiet. And he said, there is a very evil presence here with us this evening. And this room, the parlor was... Uh, full of uh, people, friends and family, and, and uh, the priest himself. And he said, nobody can leave here this evening. I want everyone to lock the doors and close the windows and draw the curtains tight. So they all did what he said. And uh, they sat down and they waited for the night to be over. And during the night, they started to hear banging on the on the side of the house like fists hitting it people knocking at the doors and the windows and the wind picked up like a storm like hurricane force winds and it battered the house nearly lifted it off its foundation it was it was uh, ter- terrifying really to have been there and the morning finally came and they went outside 
and there was not a blade of grass left in the yard, and the paint was torn off the siding of the house. And there was a couple of windows which had broken too. Yet there was nobody around to have done it. That was uh, what happened uh, in the, I think it was the mid thirties. There was a fella. He went down to the pond, Pikes Pond, fishing, trouting, right? And uh, he looked over across the pond and he saw these small, like, several, like maybe close to a dozen small people, like probably only three feet high, maybe no more in colorful clothes, pointy hats, and long beards. Like, picture a garden gnome, and that's what he saw. And they were dancing on the shoreline, in like circles and such. It was really creepy. And this guy, who was fishing, he, he, he had to leave, like, it, it totally freaked him out. And I'd say a couple of years later, there was a group of fellas who were down fishing at the pond, I'd say, I think it was four, four fellas, young fellas in their early 20s. And they looked across the pond, in, over towards the same general area, and they saw these little people with the pointy hats, colorful clothes, and long beards, only about three feet high. And they were jumping from treetop to treetop. Both of these, exp- these stories were told to the same person, and the people who told the stories never met each other. And they both described the exact same thing. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast, and I hope you were immersed in some of the more creepy aspects of the folklore we have to offer here in Carboneer. As we're approaching uh, the end of our time for today, I'd like to hand it off to my co-host, Caitlin Clark, for our closing remarks. We would like to send out a sincere thank you to all of our listeners for joining us this week on the Bed Night Lunch podcast. If you guys are interested in hearing more from us, be sure to keep an eye on the Car- Town of Carboneer Facebook page and check out all of our other social media. I've been Caitlin Clark. I've been Preston Griffin. I've been Noah Green. I've been Sarah Clark. And I've been Caitlin Head. And this is the Midnight Lunch Podcast. Make sure your pockets are inside out.